my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the HR Sound Off podcast show. My name is Julie Turney, and I am your host. Today, we're talking about hybrid work. And I know that this is a topic that we really should, you know, people probably say, Julie, why didn't you cover this earlier on when we were at the start of the pandemic? But the truth is, hybrid ways of working existed long before the pandemic. They will continue to happen throughout after the pandemic. So, I really want us to have a very good conversation about how we can support our organizations as HR professionals. And who better than to have this conversation with than an expert on hybrid ways of working, Gary Cookson. Gary, how are you doing? Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing okay today. Thank you. Nice. No worries. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Gary, I want us to start off by just telling everyone a little bit about yourself. Who is Gary Cookson and what is your journey with HR, relationship with HR and your journey through HR? Okay, thank you. I, I always describe myself when, when I meet people for the first time and they ask me what, what I do as a, as a father of four, a husband of one, and in whatever little spare time I have, I run my own business. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to live my life in that kind of proportion, in that kind of order of priority as well but I've only really been able to do that by by doing hybrid working hence why we're we're talking today my background is in human resources I've got over 20 years experience now working at director level in the the public private and voluntary sector all around the UK and now I help organizations individuals and teams within those organizations to become even better at what matters to them and try to improve working lives and the world of work as well and I think you, you want to know how I got into HR or, or what yeah. led me here, I think. Yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. I mean, how I got into HR, I, I don't honestly remember that far back. It's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I think I just fell into it and all of a sudden I was, I'd been doing it for a while and, and there I was and I, I couldn't think of anything else that I wanted <laughs> to do. I, I never wanted to be in HR when I was growing up. Nobody ever said to me in the careers advice sessions at school, you know, what about human resources or yeah. L&D? Yeah. No one ever said that. No. My my aim was always to be a, a footballer, to play for Manchester United or yes. to, That's I know, yeah, you, we, we share a passion for that, Julie, <laughs> or, or maybe to be a, a professional wrestler for the WWE. E- either of those would have done for me, but I'm just killing time, I think, while I'm in HR. I, I still got a, a fancy for donning the lycra and, and, <laughs> and smacking people up <laughs> in the WWE. But anyway, um, how, how did I get here? Well, hybrid working is is integral to who I've who I've wanted to be and who've been able to be for the last mm-hmm. 20 odd years. I couldn't have been a father of four, husband of one without hybrid working. And it's in, inextricably linked to my own sense of well-being and work-life balance and, and all those kinds of things. Because if you think about the traditional working week that that we all came from Monday to Friday, nine to five in the office. 
it's based on the premise that whoever does that, they've got somebody else to do the cooking, the cleaning, the washing, the childcare. It isn't possible to do it. It's an outdated principle. Yeah. You aren't meant to be able to do all that and a commute to and from the office and do 40 hours a week and all the different life admin. You're not meant to do it. Mm -hmm. There was one one year, and you know I've got four children. There was yes. one year when just because of the ages that they, those four children were at, they went to four different schools because they were all mm. different ages. Right. So you can imagine the, the school run every morning, get them Crazy. to and from school four different places to go to it was it was an absolute nightmare so you can't work in the office five days a week nine to five with a commute and do all the things I needed to do so I've been doing hybrid working like you said for a long time before the yeah. pandemic came and it enabled me to to do what I needed to do not just professionally but but mostly personally so loads yeah. of pluses and, and yeah there were minuses as well mm -hmm. but I did it and until the time that I couldn't do it anymore this is this is the big defining moment in my journey about yeah. four or five years ago now I moved to a new job where I hadn't really done the we'll call it due diligence that, that I should have done on a ah, new job okay and I was seduced mm -hmm. yeah I was seduced by the title and salary and, and things mm -hmm. like that and it, it was a job that was further away from home than I'd ever worked before wow. and the, the commute was was tricky, it was complicated. It involved either a very long car journey, which was sat in traffic all the way, right. or you could go on public transport and it was three different modes of public transport. Um, it was a nightmare journey. Now, if it'd been hybrid working, working at home two or three days a week and only having to do that journey two or three times a week, I could have done it. But this organisation... They, they didn't have anything like that. Right. They didn't have any technology that enabled remote working. You could only do your job sat in one physical location, Kitchen. one desk. That was it. And okay. they didn't like anybody working outside of nine to five either. You couldn't even get your, your emails on your phone to just scan things in an evening or even look at them on the train. You're joking. No, no, but it had, a, it had a big effect on me. And I know you talk quite a lot about burnout. So I'll yes. tell you my my story about burnout because this yeah. is relevant yeah. and, and shows why hybrid working can help uh -huh. with that. Few few examples. There was one one occasion I got a telephone meeting going my diary for 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. And normally at that time, I would have been on the train home. So I said to the director who this meeting was with, given it's a telephone meeting, I'll be on the train, I'll be on the way home, but we can still do the meeting. They said, no, you won't. I'm going to ring you on your landline, your desk phone. You stay at your desk to, to have this telephone call. And when we're finished, that's when you can go home. And then there was another occasion I was, I was really ill and couldn't face the commute into work and being around people. But I figured I could do, could do some work in my pyjamas at home. So I did that. I did work that didn't require systems access, just on my own device. Following day, I was okay. Went back into the office and got grilled by my manager about how ill were you really? Why couldn't you come into the office? What, what? kind of work did you really do? Where's the evidence of this? So all of that was going on. This was in and your then, HR role, right? Yeah, I, I was in a senior HR role at, at this point. And this is around the time that my wife got pregnant with our fourth child. Right. And my, my wife's pregnancies are all quite similar. In, in the first couple of months, she's very, very sick. Right. That's quite severe morning sickness that actually lasts the full day. Right. One of the things that makes her sick is cooking food. She can't be around 
cooking hot food. Smells. And I it, know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the smells, yeah. And, and many people listening to this will, will know this too. So she, she couldn't cook meals, so I needed to do more of that. It also meant that because she was being sick an awful lot, she couldn't do all the school runs that we needed to do because she needed to be close to a toilet in case she was needing to use it. So I needed to do more of those as well. And I I asked at work whether at least temporarily I could adjust my working pattern, adjust my working times. But I was told, no, I was a senior leader. I needed to set an example. And that kind of pressure came with the job. Yeah. So that, that wasn't good either. Um, and then I used my mum to do some school runs right. to help us out for a while. But then my mum got diagnosed with ovarian cancer, which mm. a couple of years later she died from. But this was the very early stages. Yeah. She was having chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And when she was in that week of chemotherapy, she, she was confined to bed. She couldn't yeah. do any school runs either. Yeah. So we had nobody. And I asked again at work, just temporarily, now and again, can I vary yeah. My working pattern, work, work location, I was told, no way could I do that. Then there was another time where mm. on one of those days where we had no one to do the school run, I had to do it. I had a meeting going in my diary for 9.30 in the morning, and I knew that I couldn't physically get there until 9.40, so I was going to be 10 minutes late. Yeah. I told the organiser of the meeting, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. Mm. They said, fine, and I was 10 minutes late. Later on that day, I was called into my manager's office and given a grilling you know told you know you shouldn't be late for work you need to sort your life out so you can get to work when you needed that type of thing and it, and it was awful I was I was angry Julie really angry and I'd leave the house before anybody else was awake I'd, I'd make breakfast for it arrange it around the room for them so they could get it when they got up so yeah. I didn't see them I'd, I'd get home from work and because my wife wasn't able to cook food they wouldn't have eaten so they'd be they'd be starving and they'd be angry at being yeah, hungry yeah and and it was my fault and everybody was angry with with me in in all aspects of my life and I lost weight my performance mm. suffered my mental health suffered all because of a lack of hybrid working yeah and then I spoke at the CIPD conference in 2017 and my talk was on flexible working and the HR role in encouraging it and leading by example. Right. And I listened to myself preach to all these HR professionals. And I thought, you're a hypocrite, Gary. You're telling these people what to do, but you're not doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the next day, I'd, I'd left that job and I'd set up my company, Epic, which is what I do now. Right. Started hybrid working again and putting my life back together. That's not to say life's perfect now. Julie not in the slightest I make loads of mistakes all the time yeah but they're my mistakes exactly and I own them and I can resolve them and I've got empowerment and autonomy to be able to do that so that's why it matters to me and that's my journey and and some of the flashpoints along the way wow do you know why I love the fact that you gave that all of that background story um not just as an as a person in the in HR but because also you're a man and it kind of helps us to recognize. And I think a lot of times when we think about HR, we think about HR being so predominantly female and we, we don't think a lot about how the role actually impacts men in the role. You know what I mean? So I'm really glad that you shared that story and I hope that it gave everyone who's listening, anyone who's watching on YouTube, 
um, the opportunity to think a little bit differently about how this role impacts everyone, no matter what sex they are. Once you're dealing with family life, it's, it, has, it comes with its challenges, right? All around, all around. I am so sorry that you had to experience and live all of that. But you know what? It brought you to this moment right now, where you are right now. And Very that true. you're able to be such a huge advocate for HR professionals experiencing hybrid for themselves as well mm. and not just for supporting others in the organization because I think that's a big um for me that's a big misconception wouldn't you agree Gary that um HR can't be done hybrid I think a lot of people yeah. still think that way yeah and, and I can understand that to a, to a degree because we, we all went into the profession many, many years ago, decades in, in my case, mm-hmm. thinking that it was all about working with people and you yeah. were working with people where those people are. And there was very little technology to, to support the delivery of your services. So you went to where the people were and that was in the physical workplace. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to change that across the years, but I'm, I'm fully aware that many organisations had not even started that journey up until two years ago when the pandemic Mm-hmm. Hits and it took a lot of people by surprise yeah. but I've been doing it for nearly 20 years helping my team to work in a hybrid way helping the whole organization that I was in to do it in a hybrid way mm-hmm. in various different organizations so I, I've been trying with, with writing my, my book and so on to help organizations learn from some of the things that I've been doing for quite some time yeah and it's I feel like it's such a wonderful thing that you've done to to expose that and I'm so glad that you also shared the, you know, the, your aha moment when you yep. realized that you were not practicing what you preach. And I always say practice what you preach or change your speech. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I did the former, really, because I, I didn't want to do the latter. But yeah, you're right. We have to because otherwise we're, we're false. We're not we're not you know, congruent in what we say and what we believe. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh-huh. Thank you. So you wrote a book. Out of all of these experiences that you had, you decided, I'm going to write a book about this to support HR and organizations and demystify and just help support people who are trying to create hybrid frameworks. What is your book called? Can we see it? Just show it to us and let's let's see a copy. Um, Indeed, because I've just got the the author's copy sent to me the other day. So here it is. HR for Hybrid Working. HR for Hybrid Working, published by Kogan Page. In the UK, it comes out on the 3rd of June. In the rest of the world, later on in the month. But it's available for pre-order now if anybody is interested in doing that. And I'm sure we could share a discount code if anybody gets in touch, then, then we can share that. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting book. And it, it's, been a, it's been a real pleasure to write it, I have to say. Lots of personal stuff, lots of emotion gone into it. The frustrating part is I we, we're talking now on the middle of May and I don't know when people are listening to this, but sometime after mm-hmm. the book may well be out by the time people listen to this. But I finished writing it at Christmas last year mm-hmm. and I've had to wait five months till this point to, to share some yeah. of the stuff. And I know there's some good stuff in it, yeah. but I want other people to read it and tell me what they think and agree with me if they will and disagree with me if, if they don't and to talk to me about it and I've had to wait five nearly six months to have conversations about the book it's driving me insane oh my goodness I could only imagine can you give us just a like a taste of what 
readers can expect when they engage with your book? Yeah. Well, the, in terms of the, away. <laughs> no, I can, I can tell you what can, they can expect in terms of the content. It's the entire employee life cycle from you know, the, the pre-hire through to retire is one, one way of, I've heard it described, but all the different touch points in between that shape the employee experience through recruitment selection for, into the formal policies and contractual stuff, pay, reward, well-being, inclusion, learning development, employee relations, how teams are set up, how the physical workplace is set up, the role of leadership and the role of people professionals in, in the organisation in the future. All of those types of things come together in this book. It's a very practical book. There's no, there's no academic research or models or theories shared right. in it. It's, it's intensely practical. It's not necessarily intended for the strategic stuff Right. in the HR profession. There are other books on that, plenty of other books on that. This is for those people who are doing it day by day. Mm -hmm. What do they need to change in the things they're doing today and tomorrow as opposed to the bigger picture five years down the line? So it's intensely operational, intensely practical, and loads of good case studies and insights and action plans and things like that. So that's the content. Mm -hmm. it, I, I am offering with this book to make it an interactive experience when people are reading it as well. So if anybody does get hold of the book, there's an offer within it, which I'll repeat now to contact me as you're reading it. I'm not hard to track down on social right. media mm -hmm. and talk to me as you're reading it. Give me some reactions. Tell me what you like. Tell me the things you disagree with and challenge my thinking. Ask me what the hell was I thinking when I wrote this yeah. and I'll be able to tell you. Tell me how you're trying to implement some of these things in the workplace and I can give you a different perspective or even challenge your thinking. So if people want to make reading a book a very interactive experience, then I'm all for that. Yeah, I love that because it's a great opportunity for people to actually interact with the author in real time as you, you read and engage the book. That's such a great idea. I'm hoping so. Maybe no one will take me up on it, but I'm certainly happy to do it. Well, definitely. Listen, I will take you up on it. When you send me my copy, <laughs> and I've had a read, I will definitely take you up on that. And I will encourage others to join the conversation because it's a very relevant conversation. Maybe we should start that conversation on LinkedIn. We'll start yeah, a chain. We should. We'll start a wave. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. It's Let's do it. Idea. Let's do <laughs> it. Let's do it. Well, you talked uh, about self-care part of your mental health journey and the importance of self-care so I've got to ask you like what do you do for self-care because you're such a busy person author speaker business owner father first and foremost and husband what where do you find the time for Gary okay well sometimes it's hard to to work out who Gary is if I'm perfectly honest because he, he <laughs> occupies occupies so little time in my thinking compared to the other stakeholders in my life, like my wife and, and my four children, that is, is difficult to carve out time. And I have to create routines to be able to do this because if yeah. I don't schedule stuff in for this, then I don't get round to it. So I have to have routines. Mm -hmm. For me, the main go-to bit of self-care is, is exercise, physical activity. Yeah. I'm, I'm a triathlete. So mm -hmm. swim, bike, run, that type of yeah. stuff mm -hmm. and I have to make sure because I enter in in half a dozen races every every summer I have to train for those races so right now we're, we're recording this on on a Monday afternoon and my next race is six days away so wow. I'm in a week where I've got to 
manage my training and manage my nutrition and my various different things very, very carefully. Yeah. Next week, not so bad, but still got to do it. Got to do a lot and I have to fit it in and I have to make sure I do three or four runs of varying distance every week and a, a bike ride and a swim and sometimes combining both of those together so you get yeah. the effects of the transitions. And it's brilliant because, well, yes, it keeps me fit and yes, it helps me to train for a race, but I get so much benefit from that in terms of thinking time and reflection. Mm-hmm. Triathlons as a sport are quite unique because it's a very individualistic sport. There is no requirement at all to talk to anybody else. Right. In fact, it's very difficult to talk to anybody else. Mm-hmm. You're on your own for hours at a time. And what better time to think and plan. Yeah. And it's the same with your training as well. I, I run, I swim, I bike to get away from people so that I can focus on me. If anybody says to me, oh, can I come for a run with you? No, I'm not oh. into that because I need the, the solitude. I need the yeah. isolation. Yeah. And I get my best thinking done when, when that happens, when I'm on my own. So physical exercise. And if I don't get any on any particular day, I get a bit grumpy. Yeah. 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 I know that feeling. So physical exercise, great way to take care of yourself. The solitude is is important. And that's what helps you to keep to keep your creative juices flowing, but also <clears throat> your ability to then give and share space with others because you've had those moments to yourself. So I can definitely appreciate that. Is hybrid work here to stay? Well, that depends on who you ask. I think in, in the UK at the moment, there's quite a, a politicised, very uh, polarised debate about it as well. Yeah. There's, there's many senior politicians in the UK government who are openly anti-remote working, which mm-hmm. is strange given that they were all for it in the middle of yeah. a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now they've changed their tune. Many people in the UK suspect that, that there's other things behind that to do with uh, property not being used in yeah, cities or not being used in mm-hmm. yeah so there's that they're using the wrong arguments about it if they were honest and said look this is because we need these offices occupied then people would at least understand that but what they're trying to do is label people as lazy mm-hmm. when they're about working and i don't think anybody listening to this nor you and i would have experienced laziness no. with people remote working in fact probably mm-hmm. The, the other extreme exactly yeah and i think we've had a shift now in the past two years many people were hybrid working for a long long time myself mm-hmm. included before that but in the last two years everybody else has been exposed to it right unfortunately the the advantages it brings when it was enforced mm-hmm. were experienced alongside the disadvantages so what people have experienced in the last two years is not what i would have called true remote working right true hybrid working because it was forced upon us yeah. and we didn't have much wriggle room to make it work for us but now as we emerge from the worst of the pandemic we've got much more time mm-hmm. to think about what work needs to be in the future and make some changes and solidify these changes i think most people who've had experience of any form of remote working want to continue with it in some form Yes. They might not want to work at home for all their all time, the time, but equally they don't want to go into the office for all their time exactly. either. They want a bit of both. Yes. But there's more to it 
than just saying I'm going to work at home for a few days a week and in the office for a few days a week. That's too simplistic. Yeah. And in many ways, it's it's putting the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. It's looking at the the outcome from hybrid working, which is you will split your time. But it's not necessarily looking at what leads up to that point. And we need to really think about work at a very granular level. Look at the yeah. type of work being done yes. and work out when and where that is best done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think it's here to stay. But there's real risks if, yeah. if we don't think it through properly. Exactly. So we still have, I think we still have a lot of work to do because as you said, while there are some companies that are right, we're very forward thinking and we're allowing these kinds of ways to work long before the pandemic, it wasn't a lot of companies. But now that we've all been exposed to remote work in some form or fashion, now trying to figure out which model works best for our organization I think is really important, as you said. And I think too, like it's not a one size fits all, right, Gary? Because I think a lot of times we look to, we look to the Googles, the Apple and all those companies to see what they're doing to see if we can do the same. But I think I read somewhere recently that Apple um, was having pushback from their employees because they were now trying to get them back into into the workplace. I think that was last week. Um, there was there's all this big noise at, at Apple about it. Amazon is always something happening at Amazon where the employees are up in arms about something. And I know that um, this was one of those conversations that was was really contentious at Amazon. So, yeah. is the answer? to look to, to Big Brother. I say Big Brother, meaning these organizations. Is that the answer? No, I don't think it is. That you, you said the right phrase yourself about it's not one size fits all. It can't be. No. Not even within any one organization. So even the even the Googles and, and some of the other organizations who, who are and even Airbnb is another good example where oh. trailblazing in terms of hybrid yes. working. Even within that organization, there won't be a one-size-fits-all approach to it. Every team will need to have its own approach to it because what you and your team do is different than what I and my team do. Mm -hmm. And the other teams in the organization all slightly different because they perform different functions. So there is an expectation that everybody will be able to do it, but what they're able to do is going to be very, very different. And looking at any organization, whether it be any of the ones we've named or any other one, is just dreaming because you're not going to be able to replicate what they do you've got to do something that's contextualized not just to your organization but to your team and the team is probably the the unit of currency we need to look at here as opposed to the organization that's why you shouldn't really have a policy on hybrid working because you can't do it and make it work properly across an organization organization. go down to a team level yeah i agree with you 100% and I thought that that's where you were going with that thank you so much for sharing and I wish you all the best with your book I gotta thank ask you. you what are you personally reading watching listening to right now that you think our audience would appreciate okay well in terms of reading I've just finished uh, two books by by the same author and the, okay. the books are called the the power of geography and Prisoners of Geography. And they're both really interesting books about geopolitical, uh, by a man called Tim Marshall, geopolitical um, happenings and trends in the world. And it 
it's really made me think about why certain countries have developed in the way they have and why mm-hmm. their thinking is the way that they are at the moment. For example, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. This was written before that, but explains why that was always going to happen mm-hmm. and what's really driving some of those behaviours. Mm-hmm. It does the same for about 20, 25 different countries across the UK, across the world, rather, including the UK. And it sets out what their priorities are and, and why those are priorities for those countries mm-hmm. and how we should see those play out in, in the coming years. Yeah. And the first of its predictions was that Russia will go to war with Ukraine, which of course then happened many months later. Wow. So really fascinating stuff mm-hmm. to read. And, and I, I like maps and I like geography and, and things like that. So this really, really appealed to me from both a visual and a, and a personal interest perspective. Right. So those, those are what I, what I've been, reading in in terms of watching i my wife and i we we binge watch programs we, we let them build up and then, yes, then we binge watch, watch them all, all in one go yeah so we, we've been watching um the latest series of better call saul which i've been waiting for okay. for quite some time which is uh-huh. is good because it's the final series mm-hmm. and it's it's a bridge between the, the prequel which is better call Saul and the main series of Breaking Bad and it's nice to see how they're tying up many loose ends and then weaving those loose ends into the main series which mm-hmm. which of course is, is many years ago now but they're setting it up wow. in reverse so I, I find that kind of chessboard approach and getting everybody in the right position in the chessboard really quite fascinating nice. to watch cool cool thanks for sharing those appreciate it I gotta ask you the big question what is the biggest misconception about HR that really bothers you that you want to set the record straight on right here, right now? Okay. I, I think this is echoing many thoughts I've seen you share. I think it's that that we are heartless people, that we're emotionless people, mm-hmm. that we only do the bad stuff in organizations or maybe just the admin, the routine, the boring stuff. But I can understand that misconception. I can understand where it comes from because most employees most employees, we're talking 80 to 90% of employees, never come into contact with the HR department in a positive way. Mm-hmm. They will probably never come into contact with them at all, not, not in a human being type sense. They'll get a letter from us when they start with their contract and, the, and their offer letter. They'll get a letter when they reach 10, 20 years service and a letter when they, they leave. And assuming they stay off our radar, in terms of employee relations stuff, <laughs> they may never actually meet us. Yeah. The other 10% who do come onto our radar for that employee relations stuff only have a bad experience of us because they're seeing us when they themselves are in trouble for whatever reason. Yeah. So it's not surprising that many people don't understand what we do and the way we do it mm-hmm. because we don't necessarily have the ways in which we shape positive employee experiences front and centre of what we do yeah so I'll, I'll finish perhaps with one one story for you when, when my sure. eldest daughter who, who is now 17 but when she was age three she asked me what I did at work and I, oh. I don't know whether you've ever tried Julie explaining it's HR really to don't. an adult let alone to a child <laughs> not easy not no. easy at all so I, I thought about this and the, the best explanation I could get was that daddy's job was to help people feel happy in the workplace and Oh, I like that. Yeah, the more I thought about that, the the more it seemed appropriate. Because, of course, if you can get people to feel happy, Mm -hmm. they're going to be more productive, they're going to perform, and and therefore the organisation benefits. Yeah. 
And 14 years later, I've still not come up with anything better to describe what HR does. Mm -hmm. The, the downside of this is my daughter was quite happy with that explanation. She, she went off. She came back a few minutes later with some brushes and some paints because that was what she liked to do when she felt, felt happy. And she thought that my job involved getting people to paint in the workplace. Oh, bless and her. <laughs> 14 years later, she still thinks that's what I do. Oh, and there's wow. another misconception. Uh -huh. But at least she thinks <laughs> I help people to feel happy at work. And that's something I'm all right with. Yes, I love that. You're so right. You know, it's so funny when you were explaining um, your your misconception, I kind of thought of like that, you know, like a bouncer thug. Like many times I feel yeah. like how people perceive HR, you know, where the thugs in the organization and, you know, yeah. almost like um, very gangster-like. So the only time you see us is if you're in trouble or when exactly. you first come into the organization and, you know, yeah. nothing could be further from the truth. If we're really mm. creating... Um, great experiences I always I always refer to one of my friends her name is Kalila Lokanola and she's a chief people officer in her organization and she always says Julie we as HR we are impact architects we create impact on people that stayed with me from the moment she said it until this day and that's years ago when I yeah. think about the experience that we create for people we're creating positive impact in our organizations it does take a, a measure of finesse and skill to architect that yeah. it's not it that everyone can do no so, no you're quite right it's a very unique skill set and there's many people who who simply won't be able to do it in the future either because our role's been changing in recent years as well and, and there's an increased need for us to be more human and more in touch with our and other people's emotions and mm -hmm. there's quite a few people I know who simply won't be able to do it won't be able to do it you are absolutely mm -hmm. right you know with that Gary Cookson you have survived your time in the sound booth today I want to thank you so much for this amazing conversation I really am excited to get my hands on your book and to share this episode with, with the world because they need to know you and they need to experience your book. So thank you so much for that. What's next for Gary? Tell us and tell us how people can find you on social media. Okay, well, what's next for me? Uh, the, the book gets published in a couple of weeks and there's, there's a launch event taking place in London in the middle of June. So that's my immediate focus. Mm -hmm. I think longer term, I need to spread the ideas that are within the book and start changing the way people think about work and the way they work. So trying to apply the stuff in the book. Mm -hmm. I think probably there's another book in me as well. Um, don't, I can see that. I'm not saying that too loud because my wife is outside and she might hear me saying that. She might not be too pleased, but I think there is. Okay. And I think I'd really like to write one, maybe an updated version of this one or maybe something new. So that's okay. that's in my future. Beautiful. But to, to track me down on social media, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is Gary Cookson and you can find me on Twitter as well, more commonly uh, at Gary underscore Cookson. And those are the two best ways to get in touch with me. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Gary. Appreciate your time and your sharing your expertise with us on hybrid ways of working. And I wish you all the very best. Thank you, Julie. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this episode of HR Sound Off. I hope that you found it useful. You can find this and all of the episodes of HR Sound Off on all major podcast platforms. Spotify, Apple, Amazon, you name it, we're there. 
Remember, HR Sound Off is created by HR professionals for HR professionals. If you would like to share your story, then reach out to us and let us know. Make sure to hit the notification bell and subscribe to HR Sound Off on YouTube as well as Podbean. And we'll see you again when we next sound off.